Brilliant. Well, um, I'm excited. It's Pentecost. I'm always terrified about preaching at Pentecost because I'm not quite sure what I should say, uh, which is always a good thing. I, I like to under-prepare for Pentecost uh, because I just want to be open to what the Spirit of the Lord might be doing. And um, I spent a lot of time, it's our concluding sermon uh, tonight from the Romans series about being more than conquerors. And it, it, it fits so well with what I believe the Lord uh, has been saying to us all I think it's interesting, um, speaking frankly to friends, you know, this whole charismatic thing. Now, I grew up in uh, the conservative evangelical church, which I love and has an incredible passion for the word of God. But I grew up with, with a sort of a, a really cerebral faith. Uh, I could tell you a lot about scripture. I could, uh, you know, I was well-schooled in uh, sometimes three services on a Sunday. And uh, I had a really sort of educated faith, if you like, but also had a very dry faith. That's not common to that particular wing of the church, by the way. It was common to me. Uh, it was my issue. But what I found was really easy for me to do was to live a really double life. So I could, I could give you a, you know, a great exegesis of a Bible passage, age 17, and you probably think, oh, wow, this guy's really full on for Jesus. But actually, equally, I wasn't living the life of someone who loves Jesus at all. And, and it was many years of living in that duality for me uh, as a sort of Christian who knew a lot of stuff but didn't feel a lot of stuff. That was kind of the challenge in my heart. And um, just as a bit of personal testimony to you guys, I, um, I'd say I've encountered the Holy Spirit powerfully several times in my life. But some of Christian leaders, you know, you think every morning you kind of get out of the shower and God sort of shabazzes you and you're like kind of getting up off the bath mat, you know, because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit again. And it's like, wow, that's what your life looks like. It doesn't look like that. Well, my life doesn't look like that anyway. Um, but I can say to you that I've had some really powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. And I had powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit when I was living a half-life for Jesus. Because again, people can think, oh, well, you know, when you experience the Spirit of God, then you were obviously transformed like Paul on the Damascus Road. Actually, that wasn't really true for me. I had some really powerful experiences of God's Spirit, but then somehow failed to change. But I remember the first time I really encountered the Spirit of God. I was 19, and I was working as a kind of gap year pastor in a school in North Wales. And I remember sitting at the back of church, and it was 1994. It was the height of the Toronto blessing, this kind of outpouring of God's Spirit. And I remember sitting at the back, and honestly, I was saying to myself, this isn't sound. Now, if you, if you know what that means, if you've been a Christian long enough, that means, effectively, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't sit well with my theology. And I remember sitting there and thinking, this isn't, I don't think this is a good thing. And um, there were some pastors in the church, and I brought some guys from the school I was working at to this particular service. And they came over to me and they said, oh, some of the guys are saying, you know, you're not really, you know, this isn't really your thing. And I was saying, well, yeah, no, I, I don't really believe that uh, this, is, this is the right sort of deal. I don't think God really does this stuff that you're sort of describing. I think it might all be hype, which is quite bold for someone. <laughs> Shows you how much I thought I knew. And, um, and they said, well, okay, look, why didn't you, why did, would you let us pray for you? And, um, and I was like, oh, I guess, Okay, and they said, look, no hype. You can keep your eyes open, like keep your eyes open and just, and like just be your, totally be yourself. We don't like no hype. And I was like, okay, fine. And, 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 and so I stood up and they started praying for me. And I was honestly in my head going, please don't let anything happen. Please don't let anything happen. Please don't let anything happen. I was like, right, okay, I'm holding on to scripture and you know, I'm holding on to like the word and you know, I'm definitely, this isn't the thing. And 
I could honestly, I mean, still, I could honestly say in my entire life, I've never been so struck physically, spiritually by the love of God for me as I did in that moment. And I, I you know, think about it what you, how you will, but I literally collapsed onto the floor in hysterical laughter, which sounds completely berserk. But if you, if you, if, if you can understand my mindset in that moment, it was literally, I don't want this, I don't believe this, I don't think this is a good thing. And God just overwhelmed me with his love in that moment. And that Pentecost moment for me, it, it did transform me. It wasn't the end of my story by any stretch. But there was something there that really was like, okay. My heart was strangely warmed, as Lewis said. You know, it's like a strange moment of awareness of how God loves you. And the danger of leaders like me is we sort of hark back to 1994. And like, you guys have missed it. Or like, you know, people sing the glory songs, you know, sort of delirious, you know, let's go, let's revival moment right now. And everyone's going, yeah, okay, okay, I wasn't there then, I was, I was eight or, you know, I wasn't even born yet or whatever it was. Um, and, and I don't want to be a nostalgic Christian leader. I want to be a, a Christian leader who's in for the now. I want to, I'm with God now. I want to be with you now in the Lord. And, and the Lord is not a yesterday Lord. He's a today, yesterday and forever Lord. And so I just want to encourage you as we begin uh, tonight in, in, in teaching, just to be open to that love of God. Not, don't try not to be as resistant as I was. Equally, I want to say, Spirit of God, this Pentecost, would you touch everyone in this room right now in a special way so they'd encounter your love more fully tonight? That's what I really long for. You know, Christian leaders often say, you know, let's not finish in the flesh what began in the Spirit. And I think that's a really good, great could occur you know it's a it's an important cry of the heart that we don't try for this but we all say lord i'm open to you i want to encounter you richly our passage from romans 8 is the, is the final segment of this amazing particular chapter and verse 31 to 39 say this what then shall we say in response to this if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God the Father and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you can probably just sit down at that point, I think, and just go, okay, that's the sermon. You know, it, it, it's such a distillation of the power of the love of God for each and every one of you. But, but, but I'm, I'm so fascinated and horrified by the way we can know Christ and we can know his love and we can encounter his spirit and yet we can still be stuck. And, and I want to I kind of encourage you to think about the Pentecost spirit as the spirit who moves. When we talk about God at work, 
God's work is always moving. It's always in transition because we're living in this temporal home and looking towards an eternal city. And one of the evidences of the kingdom coming in your life is the evidence of transformation. Now, transformation is never a bell graph. It's not like, oh, I became a Christian and I've got progressively better, as I, teached, as I taught a couple of weeks ago. You know, I, became, I made a commitment to Jesus age five. Things got dramatically worse from there on in until later on. And my, my conversion story is very jagged and very up and down, but, but it's filled with movement. And, and my, my kind of challenge to tonight, to, tonight is, is, is how are we moving? Are we stuck? Because we need the Spirit of God to come in and lead us into new transition. And I think that one of the ways in which we find ourselves getting stuck is in the belief that we're walking on a spiritual tightrope and we're in danger of falling off either side anytime soon. Or we're walking on spiritual eggshells and something's going to break. If we see the will of God like a tightrope, that we either get it right or get it wrong, and if we get it wrong, we fall off and we fall out of the love of God, we really find ourselves stuck, unable to move. It's too terrifying to progress in faith. And yet many of us will be living that life of thinking, well, uh, what's the Lord saying, and, or what should I do, and what shouldn't I do? And actually, we compartmentalize our faith, and it becomes a little balancing point where we're going, well, kind of this is what faith looks like, and as long as I do this, or I'm stuck here, then I'll be okay. We can be held back from living a fulfilling and purpose-filled spiritual journey because of the fear that something might go wrong or that God might desert us at some point in the future. And I think it's this inadequacy that commonly plagues the children of God. It's no surprise because, you know, we come to Christ saying, Lord, I'm inadequate. I need Jesus. But we're not called to come to God and, and, and if you like, acknowledge our inadequacy and be saved in order that we then live in the shadow of our inadequacy for the rest of our lives. It's not that we keep coming back to that place of saying, okay, well, Lord, I'm a sinner, please save me today. When he's saying, well, I saved you 20 years ago. What are you doing? How are you working out your salvation? How are you living as confident disciples? And this is where the Spirit of God really comes in. You know, we, we, I, many of you are in education, I know some teachers in the room here. I used to be a teacher before I became a priest. You know, and the mark of a good teacher is, is not that a child can kind of recite if you like the curriculum by the end of the of the year and you know if you kind of ticked all the boxes but the child is transitioned in their educative experience and that they're confident and they can go on to the next level it's not a set of it's not a sort of checklist it's, it's a kind of growth statement and actually what you're looking for ultimately is progress every one of us is unique but as you're teaching, you're teaching for progress. And some of the greatest progressions are not through the most successful children academically. They're from the ones who struggle the most. And God, as a loving father, as a, a wise and compassionate teacher, is looking for us all to be confident disciples who are growing in faith. And Paul delineates the difference between those who need milk, which is you know, an early faith, a faith which is about being saved, and those who need meat, which is sustaining them to kind of go on to do the things that the kingdom of God is calling them towards. You know, the danger that we find in our spiritual journey is moving away from the law of grace, which says you've been saved and now filled with the Spirit of God, so now go and do the things that the Spirit of God is calling you to, 
to being those who work in the law of payment. Jesus has forgiven me and now I need to pay him back. I just need to kind of stay still or be stuck. And Jesus himself taught about the talents. You know, he says this one invested and they received a reward. This one invested and they received an even greater reward. But this one went, oh, I've got this. I'm going to be worried now that the master of the household is going to be really angry with me if I lose this. So I better bury it in the ground and hope for the best. We're looking in the spirit for this progression. God, fill me and God, use me. You know, I think one of the lovely and unique things, hopefully not too unique in the global church, but one of the more unique things about St. D's is this sense of like, we want deep disciples. We're trying to grow deep disciples. We're trying to form the church to do things that God has called us to do in order that we can impact the world. And that impact comes through confidence and the impact comes through the Spirit of God and us all, if you like, running in the lane that God has created for us to run in. In Romans 8, Paul is he's writing encouragement and challenge for people who maybe struggle with falling back into the old law. Having reassured them in verse 28 to 30 that God is good and that he works for the good of his children, that we're justified and glorified in him, verse 31 to 39, that's the ultimate challenge. Don't be spiritually insecure anymore, but be confident. Confident that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, this morning, Louis uh, created this great big heart, and we got the kids to kind of use different sorts of glue to try and glue it onto me. And we had like Pritt stick, and then put Pritt stick all over my clergy shirt, which I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get off very easily. And then sellotape and control strips, because we're trying to control the love of God. And then finally got out a massive roll of gaffer tape and just gaffer taped the heart to me. You know, and, and actually, you know, Louis' challenge was what would it look like for you to live the life? of knowing that you're secure in the love of God, that you can't shake it off. What would it actually look like? How, she said, if Will went to like, Waitrose right now, like this, you know, how would that work out? Like walking around with this massive heart, gaffer tape to him. Trying to exp- how would you live if the love of God was so connected to you? How would you respond? How would you react? You know, this security, this sense of confidence Paul's trying to elicit to us. He's trying to say, look, this is what it looks like now, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, believing that God is for us is an essential step into the stepping into the calling that God has got for your life. Believing God is for you. And I want to ask you tonight, how much do you believe God is for you? You know, I think there's a really dangerous tone sometimes in charismatic theology that if your life is working out really well and if you've got lots and lots of blessings, God is clearly for you. But if things are going badly, like if things are going really badly, God is exercising his displeasure against you. God doesn't actually like you. And that is so untrue. You know, Paul's saying, Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not nakedness or famine or or sword. No danger, not imprisonment or anything. Nothing can separate me from that love. It's in this hardship that I know God's love even more powerfully. If you're going through a difficult time in your life, don't for one minute believe that that is somehow a sign of God's lack of favor for you. He said, Jesus said in this life you'll have trouble. He didn't say in this life you're going to have you know, some awesome crib and be able to roll around with your great glitzy rims. It's not what it's about. 
It's not, that's not a blessing. That's not the blessing of God. The blessing of God is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gift, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. So know that nothing can separate you from that love. God is for you. If you're struggling with that truth and write it on your bathroom mirror and every time you start your day, just know God is for me. You know, what's really great about the Christian faith is that, is that no amount of boasting is too much. You know, the, like we, we, we find this difficult as in, you know, many of us sort of the sort of British vibe, which is that you've got to kind of talk everything down and, oh, no, 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 it's nothing to do with me and, no, no, I, no I've not really done anything helpful or no, nothing good and, no, 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 let's don't talk about me and let me not talk about myself. Look, as a Christian, you're called to boast in the Lord. You're, you're called to actually have that sort of confidence to say, can I tell you about how great God is and how much he loves me? Now, that's what we're called to do. We might struggle with that, but, but saying God is for me is an essential part of living out this life as confident disciples. If you're unsure of just how much he is for you, verse 32 reminds us that God gave Jesus for us, and you can't get more for you than that, that God gave Jesus over to death for you personally, for you specifically it's in the nature of God to be for us. Jesus' death is reflective of the giving character of God. And Paul says, how will he not also, along with him, that's Jesus, graciously give us all things? He's saying, look, if you want to have a measurement of how much God is for you, look at the cross of Christ. God took you out of the firing line and put his own son in your place, in your stead. That is how much God loves you. And so when you're boasting in the Lord, you're saying, you know how much God loves me. God loves me so much that he made an exchange for me, his son for me. That's how much he's for me. You know, it's at this point people who are slipping back into self-reliance will be thinking, oh no, hold on, that bit's only for good Christians. So, you know, when we think about this, the first, the first lack of confidence comes through our life being difficult. The second one comes through the belief that our faith life isn't good enough. So God would love me if I was better behaved. God would love me if I was a better Christian, if I was more knowledgeable as a Christian. And we live in this comparative culture where, you know, we look around a lot. But, but my testimony is really important, I think, in, in terms of sharing against the grain because actually I knew a lot, yet I didn't know a lot of the Spirit of God, but it was actually when I, my life was beginning to unravel and I was, I was really messed up. That's when I really encountered the love of God fully for me. Actually, God's love is not dependent on your goodness, it's dependent on the goodness of Jesus. And it's when we know that we aren't good enough that we know his sacrifice for us was sufficient. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of people in, in this room who have been well-churched, whatever that means. And maybe have felt like, oh, but I don't measure up. If we grew up in a culture which says, actually, you've got to be a good Christian, a knowledgeable Christian, a well-behaved Christian, shh, children don't make a noise in church, we can actually in, imbibe this idea that God doesn't really love us that much, that lo God's love for us is conditional on our behavior. Now, I, I want you to know that our behavior is an outworking of our essence of what we become. Like you do ultimately what you are. And, and the outworking of our behavior 
is an outworking of love towards a Lord who loves us. You know, I, I, I knew a lot, yet my behavior was terrible. And then I encountered the Holy Spirit and then my begin, behavior began to change. Not because I was trying to change my behavior, but because actually my behavior changed because of my orientation to God. So what comes first? I behave and now God loves me? Well, that's a traditional educative model. But the Spirit of God says, I love you first. Once we were, once we were far off, yet God gave his son Jesus because he loved us. When we were still far off, far away. So know that the love of God is not dependent on your behavior. It's all grace and it's all in God's good character. Paul's rhetoric in verse 35 is to ask, shall these things separate us from the love of Christ? So what can separate us from them? Well, I want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But sometimes it can feel like we need to separate ourselves. What's it really look like if God's love for us is really constant and yet sometimes we don't feel it? You know, the reality of our lives is that sometimes being loved can be super painful because we feel unworthy of the love that we've been given. Maybe you've had an experience where you feel like you've really disappointed your parents. What was your reaction? Sometimes the reaction can be to withdraw, stop calling, don't go around, make an excuse, because you feel ashamed and it feels really hard to receive their love. If they say that, oh, well, I still love you, I really love you, or don't forget I love you, it can be, oh, that's so painful. And so sometimes the experience we have of feeling distant to God is not that God's stopped loving us, but that we found it hard to receive God's love. And, and that's why a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit is so fundamental to staying alive and moving in transition as a Christian. You know, I, I've, I've met so many people who've withdrawn from church, not because of a lack of love, but because of a sense of shame. I just can't handle it anymore. I can't handle being unconditionally loved. You know, we're programmed to believe that punishment is important for us that we, should, we deserve to be outed and ousted. And yet this gospel of grace says, no, that's not necessary for you anymore. I want you to know that you're forgiven and then filled with the Spirit of God in order that you can now grow up in faith and exercise with authority all those things which God has called you towards. Paul responds to the challenge. He says, in verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The word conquerors there can literally be trans, translated in the Greek super conquerors. You, you're a super conqueror even in hardship. The question to you is, do you feel like you need to withdraw and punish yourself? Or can you accept that God punished sin in Christ in order that you don't have to face that punishment anymore? Shame says you've got to do it off your own bat. You've got to work harder, do better, sing more beautifully, be brighter, be more Christian. But God says, I love you just as you are. Come just as you are. I want to refresh you again with my spirit. You know, the weird thing about the spirit of God it doesn't always fall on the virtuous. It falls on the hungry. I've, I've done a lot of 
ministry at various conferences. And um, I used to work in my first church with a, a really amazing prophet guy called Barry Kissel. You might have heard of him. He started the New Wine Movement with David Pitches. And uh, Barry was this little Kiwi guy, about so high, big beard. He looked a little bit like Father Christmas. And uh, one of the most sort of just anointed, holy and humble people I've ever met. And when I was doing ministry, I'd always look around, you know, and sort of see what I think God might be doing. And then I'd go over to the person who wasn't being touched by the Holy Spirit and start praying for them. They'd say, Will, Will, why are you, why are you going to pray for them? And I'd say, well, um, I don't know. Well, I, I thought, you know, they, they look like a solid Christian, you know. I'm going to go and pray that the Lord will fill them. He said, well, well you know, don't, don't go for them, mate. You've got to go for the, for the person who, who's being anointed by the Spirit of God. And, 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 and I'd be like, but they're already receiving, Barry. He said, I know. <laughs> That's why you go and bless what God is already doing. <laughs> so then I'd go along and, and I'd start blessing what God was doing. I remember I've got, I'm thinking, well, this is a bit odd. The Lord seems to be blessing this person. I know that they've only just joined the church last week and I think their lifestyle's all over the place. <laughs> but the Lord is moving here. You know, the, the Lord anoints the hungry, not the virtuous. You know, Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He spent so much time with the Sadducees and Pharisees. You know, we often grade out who deserves the Spirit of God on the basis of their virtue. But God's looking for hungry hearts. Ultimately, we're all sinners who are saved by that same grace. God's saying, are you hungry for my Spirit? Because I, I, I bless those who ask. I bless those who want. I bless those who desire. You know, I want to transition. I want to lead you into deeper discipleship because you're hungry for me. The things that block our hunger are the sense that I've got to work my way through salvation for myself. I need to be better. I need to be brighter. I need to be more successful, more knowledgeable. But we could give those things over to the Lord and live in the security of the fact that you are so loved beyond measure, beyond qualification, then you can start saying, God, I'm hungry. Because then, as Tim's been saying, we start living as sons and daughters rather than slaves. We start waking up and saying, you're my father. Will you give me a good gift? And Paul's saying, will he not also give you all things? All the things that are good, all the things that are for the kingdom. Not the new car or the promotion or even the partner that you're dreaming of, but the things of the kingdom of God. Will he not give you power, prophetic gifting, hands to heal, hearts to love, hands to serve, feet to run? Will he not give you all these things? We've been busy measuring God's blessing on the basis of all sorts of prosperity ideas which have nothing to do with the kingdom of God when we should have been measuring them on the basis of spiritual gifts. And saying, will he not give us all things? The things that he desires that we might have in order that we might be his confident disciples in the world right now. Now, James said to me earlier, James said, is it right, Vicar, if I sort of, you know, ask people on the street if they can come in? And, you know, I'm socially embarrassable, really socially embarrassable. So, like, I sometimes hide behind the TV. I can't watch reality shows because if someone gets socially humiliated, I just kind of hide. And I'm like, no, don't let that happen to them. That's so bad. So when people are direct, you know, and sort of say, hey, do you want to come to church? Part of me inside slightly dies. Like, oh my goodness, are they okay? Will they get over this invitation? Praise God for James. He's out there saying, hey, would you like to come to church? What's, you know, the spirit of God at work. Like trying to say, actually, look, let's, 
let's get over ourselves and let's start radiating that love to the world around us. And seeing Kat tonight leading worship again. You know, I've been praying for her for, you know, since we first met because I sensed the Lord was saying, there's a gift of worship leading in her. And the last couple of times I've just seen, you know, praise God for her, like stepping into the gift, not because she's a brilliant musician, but not because of her musicality, but because she's hungry to say, God, I'm hungry for, for you. I want to I make your, your, your presence known. Just a couple of examples. Patrick running the recovery course, you know, just humble, vulnerable, honest, just standing up there saying, look, I've got a struggle, but I, I, I'm, I'm hungry for the Lord. I want to love others. Now, this church, something is brewing. Something special is happening. And, and tonight, I just, I know it's a simple talk, but I just want to elicit a little bit more hunger and a little bit more confidence. So we all say, oh, come Holy Spirit in my life. Come, Spirit of God, in whatever way I can manifest the kingdom in my life, I want to have it. I want to do it. I want to be there. I want to live like that for your glory. You know, God's making a radical call on this Pentecost Sunday. And, it, and it's, it's a call to death, really. It's a call to dying. It's a call to die to the assumption that you can affect God's love for you. We think that we can control a lot of stuff in our lives and we think that we can, you know, maneuver and make things happen. But, but we can't actually affect the love of God for each and every one of us. It's like an eternal truth. It cannot be moved. Obviously, it's on us how we want to respond to that love, but it cannot be changed. And God's call on your life, God's whisper to you tonight, it's, it's a whisper out of that profound love. And when I felt God calling me to ordained ministry, I cried pretty much for three days. I literally cried. Not out of joy, out of abject terror. I remember thinking, what on earth is going on? God, you cannot possibly want me to become a priest. You must have got it wrong. I thought, I'm the least qualified, most inappropriate person to become a priest. Please don't let this happen to me. I remember phoning my dad going, I think God might be calling me to be a vicar dad. My dad was going, oh, praise God, hallelujah. I was going, no, it's not like that. I feel terrible. All through theological college, I kept having these terrible feelings of fraudulence and shame and, oh, my goodness, and, you know, oh, I should leave, I should resign already. Like, all of this inside, it's all true pride. It's all thinking that if I'd done it any other way, that somehow I could vindicate or justify myself. It's all true pride. Real submission comes from saying, I, I didn't do any of it. I couldn't do anything other than be obedient to God's call on my life because of his love for me and in the power of his Holy Spirit to convict me and transform me. We cannot do it any other way than the stories that we're already walking in. And those stories don't exclude God. God is redeeming our hearts and lives right now and God is commissioning us. We have to let go of the true pride of believing that if we did it any other way, it would be good enough in our own strength and acknowledging instead that this is God's work. 
God's call, God's choice, God's equipping. And God's just speaking right now to each of you saying, I love you. How are you going to express your love through your life right now? How are you going to make it work out? How can I help you? How can I gift you? So that might be real. Why don't we stand and let's just receive that spirit afresh. Maybe you'd like to just hold out your hands as a sign of your openness to God's spirit. And I just, I don't want to rush this moment. So a band can come, feel free to come. But just, let's just do business with God for a moment. It's not 1994, it's 2021. And the same God is alive today, reigns in this church. And we want to say, come Holy Spirit, would you come now and rest in a supernatural way on every single person in this room? We just want to affirm the love that you have for every single person here who've received Jesus and they'll now receive the Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit. I just believe the Lord wants to break shame tonight. If that little voice in your head says, But it's not for me, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy. I've messed up. The Lord is saying, no. I love you. I've called you. I've chosen you. And I'm equipping you. Come, Spirit of God. Just feel some people already demonstrating that sort of sense of the Spirit resting on you. Don't be afraid like I was afraid. Just be confident. Say, Lord, I'm hungry for you tonight. I'm hungry to encounter you, Lord.